Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs, your hobby content alternative. It is Friday, and you know what that means. I got my man Chris from Card Ladder back on the damn pod. This time, we're running through a variety of topics. We always do. Kind of closing it out, talking about the collector's mindset. There's a lot of stuff in between, but I always appreciate him coming on. A lot of good data points, a lot of good collector stuff. You're going to enjoy this one. If you like what I'm doing over here, tell a damn friend about the Stacking Slabs podcast. I do appreciate it. Let's kick it to the conversation. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. Excited. I've got many time guests. Chris from the Card Ladder team back on the pod. There's a lot of topics that we're going to talk about. We always do. I'm going to try to spend some time just talking about um, collectors and the collector collecting mindset. Um, I think it is something that maybe gets lost in the shuffle and something that I want to dedicate more time on stacking slabs, exploring with people like Chris. Chris, I mentioned collectors. Uh, You haven't been on the show since the big Card Ladder news. So I just want to congratulate you on. Um, kind of folding in card ladder to the collector's family, but welcome. And uh, how are you? Thank you, Brett. And I'm doing well and happy 2022. Been a very eventful two and a half weeks in the hobby since the calendar turned a page. So happy to be here, man. <laughs> yeah, th- there is. Last week was a little bonkers. And I want to not dig into some of those topics, but touch on them at the surface level. But I'd love to know, and I know you've just on the crossover have talked about just like your transition and just the benefits that you you all will see by kind of being under the uh, collector's umbrella, but maybe just like share some perspective. You built this, you know, product with Josh and team, you know, ran it, um, got a lot of good feedback. People, users became fans. Um, and then obviously a company like collectors saw what you're doing was like, this is something that. I think would benefit our greater audience and we'd like to bring you in. So maybe just like share some perspective on just like the acquisition and uh, how it's been so far for you and maybe reasons why you kind of thought it was a good fit. Yeah, I'd love to, man. So I listened to some of the Ringer podcasts. One of them that I listened to is uh, the gambling NFL gambling show with Warren Sharp and a rotating three rotating guests, guest hosts along with them. And on his show last week with Joe House, who's one of the three regular guest hosts, they had a back and forth about Sharp talking about how the most rewarding thing he does is consult for NFL teams and help them strategize. And then when when that pays off and the team actually wins a game, a playoff game, that's the most rewarding thing in his work life. It's better than winning bets or getting his analytics right or recording content. The best thing is doing something with a team. And then Joe House came back and said, yeah, he said, you know, I don't really have any teams that I get to work with. You know, I make content and stuff, but I'm not, I'm not really part of any team activities anymore. I would have to go back to my youth and youth sports to really think about doing and accomplishing things as a team. And so that, that really resonated with me because card ladder is a team. It's a team of people that accomplished building 
a small, a successful small business from the, you know, from the ground floor fully bootstrapped. So to me, I, I just, the, my favorite part about it and what's so great about it is that we did it as a team and, you know, team doing things as a team uh, is much better than doing something on your own, in my opinion. And I think that's why a lot of people love team sports. So that's, that's been on my mind ever since I listened to that podcast episode It's just the card letter team, you know, notched a pretty big accomplishment joining the collector's universe uh, umbrella. And in terms of what's coming up for us, um, you know, a lot. So first of all, you know, we're integrating and collaborating with uh, PSA quite a bit right now. Uh, most of it's behind the scenes stuff that might never really make a splash publicly. Uh, some of it does cross over into the public. So, you know, our friends, uh, Ryan and Steve, uh, in marketing at PSA have been working with us to feed us certain PSA data points that we've been making content surrounding, which is great to do. Uh, but also, you know, we're helping them, uh, on pricing for different internal purposes, as well as some bigger picture external stuff that's going to be coming over probably the next year. And then in the immediate future, uh, in about two weeks, Christina and I are going to start training a team of five researchers. So we're going to be expanding their research capabilities enormously, and that's going to make the database get a lot bigger, a lot faster. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of things going on behind the scenes, things going on that are publicly visible, but at the end of the day, on a day-to-day -day level, and this was very important to us participating in this acquisition is that nothing has changed. We do the same stuff. We build the product. We take in customer feedback. We work with content creators. We do Instagram lives where <laughs> we just fire from the hip. Nothing has changed. We're just, we're doing the same things. Um, but hopefully now, you know, we'll be able to do them at a, at scale and with a lot more resources at our back. So, but yeah, that, that's always been super important to us is just, we retain control over our operation. We do things exactly how we see fit. And we continue to do <clears throat> what we love to do and the way we love to do it. So that's about where we're at right now, man. Yeah. I think just from an outsider looking in, if there are a lot of people who talk about starting businesses in the hobby, um, my feedback to anyone out there listening would be uh, just look at what these guys and, and gal have done over the uh, you know past few years, just building card ladder um, built, built like one thing that I appreciate about outside of the product is just like, building of the brand, building of the community, um, gathering feedback. I think, you know, the more you listen to the audience and use that feedback to build content, build product, like eventually someone like a collectors is going to take note of it. And I'm sure when they brought you in, it wasn't just about the, the product, but it was more about the people, which I think is important and just a good lesson for any aspiring entrepreneur. And before we get off the card ladder topic, I just want to say like, I've been the most fired up about just like, and I know most people about sales history and like uh, <laughs> being able to look at sales history, seeing how you're tying that in. Um, this weekend, I sat down with my Zion box of cards and just went through my patents, went through everything and just like uploaded it all in my collection through sales history. And uh, it was like, took maybe an hour and I would like put a card in that I bought like two years ago. And then I hadn't even looked at the price or whatever. And then I saw the price and I'd just be like, holy shit, like 
I had no idea like the, this card had gone up this much over the last few years, which was exciting. But now it's just like to have like my cards being tracked all in my collection seamlessly through kind of sales history data across not only eBay, but PWCC, Golden and other uh, auction houses has been pretty badass. So obviously you're building around that. Um, how has that process been for you and kind of what kind of feedback have you got so far? Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that because you've always been, uh, ever since we started, you know, collaborating on content with you, you've always understood our product really well. And you've always helped us to spread the word about the things that we wanted to focus on that we were excited about, you were excited about too. It's the same thing for sales history. Uh, this is the new, a new feature, few months old, but it's, there's, it's so, um, it's such a struggle for us to try and like, let people know what's actually there in this database, right? Because people understand from the first year and a half of Card Library's existence that it's just this growing catalog of fully vetted all-time sales history. But you know, you have to wait for your card to get added to the database. And right now there's a little over 20,000 cards, but there's many, many more out there. Well, the sales history feature um, is a completely different approach to letting people look up sales information and use it to track their collection. So there's a 25 million sale database that grows by leaps and bounds every day. There's tens, if not hundreds of thousands of new sales pouring into it every single day. And, you know, it's not limited to any card. The only limitation is whether or not the card is sold over the past, uh, I guess, 16 or 17 years. Because if it has, it's there's a good chance it's going to be in that database. Um, so now, you know, somebody tweeted this today and it's like, I'm like, I'm just, I'm so excited to somebody actually, you know, tweeted this. He, this guy, Dars Meister on Twitter said, uh, you know, card letter has sales data and analytics for multiple platforms. You can comp essentially anything pretty easily. And yes, you can, uh, you're not any, you're no longer limited to only the cards in our database. You have access to a 25 million sale database going back i think in some for some cards as early as like 2001 and most others going back to 2004 and then you know so you look at this sales database and hopefully we've got a picture of the card that sold but if not we at least have the listing title and the price and then from there you know we're going to help hopefully guide you to to use some analytical power above and beyond just the date and the price and the picture so if you click on the sale from the sales history, you know we're gonna either project the price for that card now based on the index for the player. So Josh built technology that scans every listing title for a player, and if that lines up with one of the fifteen hundred or so players that we have indexes for, it's automatically going to sync up to the index and project the price based on our player index price modeling. And if not, then Josh built a separate piece of technology that's going to say. Well, is this low, mid, or high end? And if it's one of those three, then we're going to tie, and it, it will be one of those three, we're going to tie it to one of those indexes to forecast the price for it instead. So we're using one of two different index methodologies to price every single card that's in that 25 million card database. And then if you want to, you can use the sales history feature with, and just with one click, add it to your portfolio or your collection. So from the sales history page, you type in the card, 
maybe even go find the copy that you bought, push a button, add it to your collection, and then make a decision for yourself. Do I want to price this manually myself, kind of punch in a rough estimate? Do I want to tie it to the player index? Do I want to tie it to uh, the low, mid, or high-end index? Or do I want to just you know, hack the system and tie it to a totally different comp? Because Josh just rolled out a feature or is in the process of rolling out a feature. It might not even be live yet, but he's in the process of rolling out a feature that's going to let you tie the price of any card to a different card if you really want to hack the system. So the sales history feature, super excited about it. It's an absolute game changer for our app, but you know, it's going to be a long, hard road to spread the awareness about it and let people know like there's a lot of power at your fingertips with card lighter now that wasn't there just a few months ago. No doubt about it. And I, I just in digging in, I think one big thing for me was like one takeaway was, damn, I wish I was in the hobby buying Peyton Manning in 2010. Look at these prices. <laughs> but two, I think it seeing the, the trend line over the last few years on individual sales that I didn't even know about, it gave me even more confidence on like the train is moving. You, now is the time to hop on a specific card. And I think that's really powerful. So uh, I just appreciate what you all are doing and excited uh, just uh, with uh, the horsepower you'll be getting from just Collector's Universe, uh, what's to come. Um, I want to jump over to this topic. I, you reposted this. I saw it from the original scribe and I thought it was so good. It, like We read so much content in stories on Instagram or whatever. I saw it and I was like, God, that was a good thought. And then maybe like I put down my phone, did whatever, watched NFL playoffs, came back and saw you had reposted this. And I was like, I'm glad he reposted this because it made me appreciate it now. But Rodman put up a post in his story from yesterday. And we we don't we don't need to get into all the shitty things that happened in the hobby last week. Um, but I thought one good remark was came from Rodman when he was talking about just uh, the Dallas incident. And I'm sure if you're listening to this by now, you, you know about what happened at Dallas, but I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of like, everyone's, you know, re everyone is uh, putting all this energy around, like reposting the story and commenting on the story. Like what I wish people would just put the same energy on sharing other people's mail days and getting behind that. Um, and I was like, that's just such a good remark. Um, because Sometimes you open up Instagram and it just feels like the hobby just wants to focus on the drama, whereas we probably should be spending more time appreciating other people's collections and sharing those collections with uh, our audiences. And it, to me, it was a good reminder. So I know you reposted that, but just maybe like share some perspective on what you thought when you saw Rodman post that. Yeah, well, Rodman's a guy who practices what he preaches. He is constantly supporting, you know, other collectors and sharing their mail days. And he loves to share his own too, <laughs> which is great. I, I love seeing the stuff that he picks up. He's gone down the Lionel Messi rabbit hole recently. And uh, it's pretty fun to see him, you know, tap into his, a collecting passion of his. You know, you said something that provoked me, which was that uh, opening Instagram and, you know, maybe not totally looking forward to it because there's going to be nothing but stories and posts about drama and negativity. And, you know, that's, that's a big problem because my thesis about why the hobby succeeds has always been that it's, it's uh, a welcome relief and uh, something that brings us happiness. So, you know, I get a dopamine hit when I 
open up my eBay or my Instagram or my group chats or whatever. And if that starts changing, if the calculus becomes, Hey, you know, I'm really like, not like I have to force myself to open Instagram today because, you know, I'm kind of not looking forward to what's going on in the community. That's a really bad sign for where the hobby is going. And, and we should be intentional and deliberate about making sure that that doesn't happen and that we don't become a, uh, you know, a feedback loop of negativity. And that's kind of what Rodman was pointing out. He was like, look, you know, I follow people because I like to see the cards that they're picking up. That's it. You know, <laughs> that's why he's following people. And he's like, can we get back to that? Can we get back to sharing cards, showing off what we got, you know, in defense of the people who, you know, are focused on the drama cards have gotten so expensive that <laughs> you know, sometimes we can't post cards as much as we want, but we still want to have something to say. And, you know, it can be really easy to get sucked into commenting on and, and focusing on the negativity and the drama. But we take Rodman's advice, become very intentional about being positive and making our community a, a fun and, and pleasant place to be, then, you know, that's, that's great advice. Totally. And, and maybe just back to like the eBay component and the crossover this past week, there was like this excitement in your voice when you were talking about just the mail days you've had. And it's kind of like, it, it brought me back to this, like you and Josh have talked about it, but just like the caveman approach, right? Like you, <laughs> you, you, you see card, you want card, you buy card. And like, I don't know, it just seems like at times it's like, the hobby as a whole loses sight of like, just like, it's about the cards and like, I, I can't, it's, I can't, I, today's MLK day and there's no mail, which is, you know, should be the case, but like, I can't wait for Tuesday because that card I bought maybe last, last Tuesday might be showing up. And that gets me really excited because I get to open it and I get to admire that card and I get to put it on Instagram and I get to file it away in my PC. Like I know you're, seems like you are changing maybe maybe not like your core of what you're collecting but like you're dipping your toe in other directions maybe like share some perspective on that cuz you're picking up some things and seems like you're having a good time oh yeah well speaking of the crossover somebody sent in a question which was like hey after you've been around for 4 or 5 years and you kind of have figured out what a lot of the sets are and stuff like how do you is it still as exciting or as interesting and you know I think that there was a false assumption that question, which is that four or five years is enough time to learn about all the products in the sets because it's not, it's not even close. But the part about that to me was it's like, I went through this Michael Jordan insert collecting phase and I had pretty much every insert. And then, you know, I, I did that. I, I did it well. And I kept, I have my Michael Jordan collection has 10 primary cards and they're 10. I would never move. And I'm very happy and pleased with it. But now to add more cars to that collection is just way outside my budget. So I've had to get scrappy and move on to something else, you know, and same thing for Luca cards. Although there are some interesting opportunities with Lucas, like somebody showed me the other day, a, a rookie Luca from Chronicles numbered to 149, an orange card sold for like a hundred bucks raw on eBay. So I was like, oh, maybe I should start taking a look at some of these more obscure numbered Luca rookies. but. Panini Panini's product offering is even more complex than the nineties was, but no, the stuff I've been digging into lately is stuff like Christian McCaffrey, you know, through collecting Christian McCaffrey, I've learned so much about football product. That's been so much fun. 
I took a I took a detour into Frank Nilakina collecting. So I picked up his optic gold vinyl one of one rookie card and his prism gold rookie. So that's been fun too. And also just kind of like, you know, one of my searches is just prism gold. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like <laughs> the other night I almost pulled the trigger on a clay on a clay Matthews 2013 Prism Gold BGS 10, which is like maybe not a super smart way to be collecting. It's just like wait for something interesting to pop up and just go after it. But you know what? I'm kind of having fun doing it. And you'll get these weird cards come across, you know, that are that are interesting and worth pulling the trigger on. Like I picked up a 2018 Prism Gold LeBron insert BGS 95 for like 1500 bucks. You know, I mean. I wouldn't have seen that if it was for my prism collection. And now that set me on the hunt to get all the 2018. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, does that kind of speak to the question? Because yeah. there's there's nothing like getting a mail day, I'll tell you that. No, it, it does. And I think I, most people, in the, I, I've got the prism gold uh, search, say, I check it every day, maybe a couple times a day. And I've, I've almost fallen into that trap and been like, oh, you know what, like, I appreciate Randy Moss at some level. Like, do I really need to be spending, you know, $4,000 on a Randy Moss gold? Probably not. But this card looks cool. Before we dive into maybe just like the collector's mindset stuff, I'd love to kind of get a like state of state of things for you. Like maybe like one thing I don't do a good enough job of talking about is just like football, basketball markets. And I know they're interesting. Um, maybe we start here with just basketball. Like I was thinking about this, man. I was thinking about, I want to hear just like any nuggets you have, but like one thing that's really stood out to me when I got back into hobby, how it was like, just, you know, the, the headline was Zion jaw. That, that was like where everyone was at all the attention. And now obviously John Moran has had a, a defining career defining year, even though your boy Luca beat him. Uh, last week um he's had a hell of a year and zion is just is just out and it's there's a lot of question marks there and it's is this i think about it i'm like is this what i anticipated i'm not sure but you think about the attention when i came back in and i think about all the money invested in buying a player like zion and the uncertainty on the backside, obviously, when he was healthy, like, you know, all-star caliber player, but so much of the hobby content, Instagram focus is about, like, being the first on these new guys. And even with a guy like a Zion, who was supposed to be a slam dunk, sure thing, now there's some, like, doubt and potential, like, who knows if he's ever going to kind of be what we thought he was. So, like, you're someone who kind of looks at the data, like has like the market, like while he's been out, like lost confidence in a guy like Zion and like, have they put maybe some of that confidence in a guy like John Morant? Uh, maybe just speak to that at any level you want to. Oh yeah. It's such a great question. There's some perspective that we can take away from the Zion reality, because imagine a parallel universe in which Zion doesn't get hurt. He's in peak physical shape. And right now he and the Pelicans are like a three or a four seed. And he's averaging 30 points a game. And, you know, just imagine that parallel universe of where the hobby's at right now. If that happens there, Zion brought so many people back to the hobby. He was such a mainstream phenomenon. Second coming of LeBron. And 
I just re- I vividly remember being at trade nights at bullpen and meeting people who had never shown up to the trade nights before, and all of them were there just for Zion. And like some were like buying singles of Zion, but I remember encountering one guy who was this old school collector, and I was like, "How do you get your Zions?" Like he had a whole binder of them, and he was like, "I buy wax, and I just open the wax until I get good Zions." And that was that's that was his collecting approach. He was like, "I don't want cards that somebody else pulled. I'm gonna pull all my Zions. I'm gonna grade them myself." And like so, Zion was stimulating the purchasing of product. He was stimulating investing in singles. He was resurrecting collectors who had gone dormant for decades, bringing so many people back to the hobby that the the fact that the hobby is doing and this well and flourishing, even as its most important prospect in the last five years from a mainstream point of view is having a worst case scenario play out before our very eyes is a testament to how well this hobby has withstood that that calamity. I mean, it's an absolute disaster. It's a worst case scenario. There's not even timelines for return. And it's a foot injury. And foot injuries are very scary uh, injuries for athletes to have. Um, They can be so unpredictable and so, you know, difficult to come back from as we're seeing. Plus, there's something maybe to the fact that Zion doesn't want to be in New Orleans and they've recycled three different coaches now and the to work with during his short stint in the NBA and it's just a it's just a nightmare scenario so with that said though you know people are still putting a lot of confidence in Zion and his cards are still selling at a comparable clip to John Morant's which is amazing because Morant is on the outskirts of the MVP conversation I'll say this about Morant He's had the best highlights all year, and he's an electric player who's putting up incredible statistics. I mean, Trey Young, Steph Curry, and John Morant. Uh, if I if I took away the name and just showed their splits, it'd be really difficult to say which one was which. There, you know, people might not understand that Curry's only shooting like thirty eight percent from three this year. I think Morant is at thirty seven. These guys are like all three are playing at the all NBA first team level, it's going to be hard to pick which point guard ultimately should get it. Although it'll probably be Curry due to the combination of team success and just his, his legacy. But Morant is, is doing really, really well, but Morant is overrated right now. I'll come out and say that as a fan of the NBA. So the Grizzlies are 30 and 15 and Morant is, you know, being heralded as an MVP candidate because of the team's success, but the Grizzlies with Morant are 19 and 13. And the Grizzlies without Morant are 11 and two. So there's, when you actually kind of start breaking down how the team got to the point that it's at, you really have to tip your cap to the coach, the emergence of Desmond Bain, the depth of that roster, uh, the return of Jaron Jackson Jr., Brandon Clark, uh, Dylan Brooks. They're a really feisty Phoenix Sun style team with or without Morant. Now, Morant is flourishing. He's clearly the best player on that team. But he's still got a long ways to go, which should, you know, that's that's as good of a thing as it is a bad thing. You know, some people are a little overly excited about how good he might be right now. Uh, you know, 538's Raptor modeling ranks him as one of the bottom 50 defenders in the NBA, pretty close to Trey Young. He has some glaring weaknesses in his game that can improve and will improve as he matures and gets better as a player. 
but he's not quite that that MVP caliber talent that that people want and expect him to be yet. And people will get disappointed, I think, if they foist that on him. He's just not ready for it yet. But terrific player, exciting player, very good for the hobby. He the guy's blocking shots on chase downs and his head is hitting the backboard. He's just a terrific, exciting player, but I'm I'm actually bearish on him relative to where the mainstream is at right now. You had Stephen A. Smith, Michael Wilbon, and uh, Jalen Rose before the Friday night game where the Mavs beat the Grizzlies by 25. You had them all come out and unanimously say, Morant is a better player than Luka. And Wilbon even said one of the reasons why is because Morant is a great defensive player. No, he's not. He's literally one of the worst defensive players in the league. There's just a bad, there's a misalignment between what mainstream narrative is on Morant and what the reality is with Morant. But I think he can get there. I think he eventually will match the narrative, but they've made it unfair to him uh, by just putting too many expectations on him. So, but you know, Morant is carrying that class. He's carrying the hobby in Zion's stead, you know, especially sealed product investors are thrilled that's that even though they didn't get Zion, but guess what? Morant is still carrying the 2019, 20 basketball products. So it's a great thing, but how about this? So I'm bearish on Morant relative to the mainstream media. I'm bullish on Zion relative to the mainstream media. The Pelicans are one and a half games out of the playing tournament. There's a world in which Zion comes back this year. The Pelicans get into the playing tournament and all of a sudden we have playoff intensity basketball with Zion Williamson on the court, but he needs to recover. He needs to get healthy. He needs to want to be there. Hopefully those situations get sorted out. People are hoping he might go to the Knicks and be reunited with now Cam Reddish and RJ Barrett are there. Maybe something like that happens. I don't know, but I'm actually bullish on the Zion narrative relative to where everybody is at right now. I think it's actually, it's not as gloomy as it seems long-term, but short-term, it's an absolute nightmare, and just kudos to the hobby for powering through it. You, okay, so covered Ja, covered Zion. I like the perspective. Before we get off the basketball hobby topic, has, has there been anything else to you this season? Um, and I just think back of this time last year where it was like, you know, Kobe, LeBron, MJ, people were buying up everything. It, they weren't even, it, with no consideration of population reports or anything, just buying stuff out kind of fast forward it to like this point this year in the NBA market in the hobby, has there been anything that stood out to you in terms of like anything like theme wise or trend wise uh, stuff that maybe surprised you or maybe stuff that you were, were to be expected? I'd love to just kind of get some, some further NBA perspective outside of John Zion. DeMar DeRozan. Uh, he's another outlier MVP candidate. His index and card ladder has increased 68% this month, and it's up 127% over the quarter. So holders of DeMar DeRozan cards have seen basically a blanket 2 to 3x in their value. And if they're holding the more higher-end stuff, even better. So a recent sale for DeRozan that happened was a BGS9 of his National Treasures RPA sold for $3,500 a couple days ago. His market is scorching hot right now. And that's great to see because, you know, he's having a breakout season. He's in a good market. These are, this is what should happen in the hobby. You know, a guy comes to the four, 
he's a, a great player having a great year on a, on a good team in a good market and his cards explode. Like this isn't rocket science. That's what should happen. It did happen. So that's, that's a very awesome hobby story. And there's probably somebody listening to this podcast right now and saying, only 3500 for his BGS9 Auto 10. That's what, that's what I thought when you said that. <laughs> and that's a that's like a monster all-time high for his NTRPA. Good right. goodness. So, so what you're so what you're saying, so when DeMar DeRozan, like obviously, like he was the piece where Kawhi went to Toronto. He he went to San Antonio, Toronto wins. He's very like very productive and efficient, but very quiet in San Antonio. It's just the nature of the Popovich model, that te- team ball. And then he goes to Chicago, and Chicago's got some really nice pieces, but like he has been glorified as their, their guy. So I was expecting a number, if you were to ask me how much, based on what he's doing this season, how much his NTRPA was, I would have probably said, I don't know, 75, 10K, but like that's kind of, to me, that that number was like, if you like DeMar DeRozan, yes, his cards might be going up, but maybe now's not the worst time to hop on the bandwagon. Yeah, so he's from the 2009 draft class, and so he's in that same first wave of Panini licensed products right there with Steph Curry and James Harden. And the last time the BGS9 sold, I actually had to look this up to make sure I wasn't imagining it. The last time that card sold, so it sold for $3,500 a couple days ago, the prior sale was $760 in August before the season started. Okay, so... Before this year? For this year. August, oh, of, August of 2021, that card sold for $760, and now there's a sale on the books at $3,550. So, I mean, and that's just what you love to see happen. You know, I, I hope that, quote-unquote, second-tier players um, continue to to fill in the gap between, you know, the, the upper crust, Anthony Edwards, national treasures, RPAs in a BGS nine go for around 45 grand. Same for LaMelo ball, you know? So while those guys are very exciting and they have the whole future in front of them and so much upside, dude, DeMar DeRozan is selling for less than 10% of them. And the guy's got the Kobe MJ mid range game. And he's putting up MVP numbers and he's on the best team in the Eastern conference by record Record. right now. Like I kind of want a piece of that action too. You know who, why wouldn't you? I mean, he's, he's just a, he's having, he's finally getting his due. You mentioned Ant and you mentioned LaMelo. Um, I'm not a national treasure product expert or aficionado, but I would imagine the DeMar DeRozan uh, patch in there is not an unworn patch. Right. (laughs) It's not unworn. (laughs) Not the uh, not up the Dick's uh, the Dick Sporting <laughs> Goods rack. Uh, yeah, not off the Clarence rack. Um, before we move off of NBA, is there anything else you want to call out? Giannis, Giannis cards have quietly been trending up. He's up seventeen percent over the last month. Uh, the inevitability of the Bucks making a playoff run is probably influencing that to some extent. And Giannis has just had these unbelievable sales. So. One of the sales that happened in the golden auction from uh, a, a week and a half ago now, uh, his 2013 Prism Green PSA 10, which is a color match, a really neat card, but it's not numbered, uh, but it has a population of 36. It sold for $43,200. And 
And the previous sale on the books was for $12,300 from only a month earlier or a month and a half earlier. And so there was something very outlierish about that sale because even if that card maybe like finally started to get some respect, you know, relative to how rare it is still for a card to four X over a period of a month when like nothing else Giannis really is doing that raised a lot of eyebrows uh, appropriately. And so like when I did my little golden recap, I completely stayed away from that card. I was just like, let's just wait and see. Let's let the collections period pass. Let's see if the card gets paid for. And if golden continues to display the sale or if he takes it down from their database. And sure enough, the guy who won the card DMs me and says, Hey, why didn't you talk about this card in your golden recap? And I was like, well, because it sold for four times when it last sold for a month ago. And I'm very skeptical of this card. And he says, well, that's, you don't need to be skeptical because, you know, I'm the one who won it. And I said, well, could you make us in an Instagram story to that effect? And like, I'll reshare it. And he's like, yeah, sure. But I'm going to pick up the card from Golden's headquarters tomorrow. And then when I get it in hand, I'll take a picture of it from his office and then I'll tag you. And sure enough, he did it. So I went ahead and shared the story and said, hey, congrats on picking up this card and paying a monster record high for it. So there's things happening in the Giannis market where somebody decided, in fact, two people decided because there was an underbidder who lost as well, that this Giannis card is worth four times what it last sold for a month ago. And when, when little things like that are happening in a market, I definitely perk up and start paying attention. So Giannis is definitely one to watch right now. So, so there's two things there that I just commenting on, I think one, and you've talked about this, like from a collector's perspective, and we're going to get into a uh, collector's mindset, there's a certain, like, it's irrational that it on paper to the hobby. It's like, why would someone pay four X of what the last sale was? But there's two people that were doing it. And to me, I don't know who this guy is. Um, but my mindset would probably be like, this guy's probably a Giannis collector and he probably appreciates Giannis and he probably saw the card. He's got a nice Giannis PC and he thought, you know what, this is my time to get the card and I don't give a shit what I'm going to be the winner. I think that is really cool. I think the second thing that's really cool, and this happens to me all the time when I post cards where I'm like, you know, I'll look on card ladder or I'll find it on eBay of something that just stood out to me and I'll just be like, wow, like look at this like wrestling card that sold for like, 3x what it did last time this is awesome and then i'll have the person someone will see the story either that this happened today to me either the seller or the buyer slide into my dms and without fail explain to me why they bought or why they sold and it's just like i love that so much about the hobby because we're all connected on instagram and all all it takes is one of those collectors to see it and then kind of provide that color commentary to validate it and then like someone like you, who's in the business of sharing data and sharing the information, can get that kind of check mark directly from the purchaser or the person who sold it, and then you know let the hobby know. So I like the fact that you're skeptical going into that, being like, "Yeah, I'm going to hold tight, wait for this to play out." But then the person who ends up with the card kind of interjects themselves and be like, "Hey, man, like this is a pretty substantial sale. Like I bought this. Like I think that's pretty cool." I uh, yeah, I agree. It's it's great that our community can facilitate that. That it's a small enough community that that can happen, but a big enough market that many people are paying attention and curious to see, you know, how it plays out. 
I'll give you a stat for you, Brett. Uh, speaking, it, this comes to mind, speaking of size of market. So now I have to think in my role at Card Ladder, I have to think a lot more critically about metrics and performance of the business and stuff like that. And so I was actually digging into one of our analytics software that tracks how many unique users, and this is not subscribers, this is just users of the, uh, of the mobile apps that we had in the year 2021. We had just over 64,000 unique users of the Card Ladder mobile app. That's not the web app, that's the mobile app in the year 2021. And we're just a small, humble app. So for 64,000 people, unique people, and it's measured as the first appearance of that particular user in a, in a cohort group. So six, over 64,000 uh, unique people downloaded and used that app. I think this hobby is actually a lot bigger than we realize that it is. And because I just caught myself saying we have this small community, but actually though, this community is huge. I mean, if we had 64,000 to our app and it's only had a, had a life of 11 months and very little exposure relative to the grand scheme, how many millions of collectors are out there? I mean, a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, man. I, and I talk about the, uh, I talk a lot about just like, the segmentation of our market and how that's a whole lot of people. And to me that I would, I would, I would have no way I would have said a number that high, but like, I think if you take a step back, maybe it seems high because the people that typically we surround ourselves with fall into that collector's bucket. They're the people that are jumping on the crossover in the chat, the people that are, you know, DMing me about the episode that I had with uh, Northwood card collector and his Peyton Manning stuff. So like I'm surrounding myself for the most part with collectors. I think probably you are surrounding yourself for the most part with collectors, but the, the collectors is the foundation, but like there's all these other flavors of the hobby and like people that are flipping cards at the Dallas card show, pulling up the card ladder app that are just looking for sales history or looking for a quick comp. Like that's someone who could be using card ladder that, yeah, they're the flipper and yeah, they're trying to make a quick buck, um, but they could be using card ladder to help facilitate that. So I think when we all, no matter, and, and there's no right like area to be in, like every area serves a need for the market to grow. But I think just as I've been trying to take a step back and be like, okay, there's many different flavors of the hobby. Although I might be just in this one group, spending a majority of my time communicating with the majority of people that are in it probably for similar reasons than me there are 10 to 20 to 30 other segments that are people breaking cards, flipping cards, you know, selling, doing anything that's possible. And I think that's where you, uh, you see it and probably why like a company like Fanatics looked at the market as a whole and said, you know what, this is something we want a piece of, you know what I mean? Yep. Completely agree, dude. I think that's exactly right. I just, I never paid too much attention to the numbers. You know, we've always offered a free entry level version of the app and of the website um, because maybe everybody can't afford 15 bucks and because maybe people will give us a chance if you know they can do a trial version or they can just try out the free. Um, but I, I was blown away. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. And then the web version, you know, gets about a million page views a month. And like, there's just, you know, it's the, the card ladder.com. Uh, website is 
the top ranking website and Alexa traffic rankings among data platforms. So, but, but still it's only like 145, 140, it's in like 145,000th place among United States websites. Like there's still, you know, so many, so many collectors and sports enthusiasts and hobby enthusiasts out there who just have no idea about us. And we're just scratching the surface. And like, even in our Instagram community, you know, I noticed there are some Facebook groups now about sports cars that have hundreds of thousands of people in them. But still, I just, I've heard people estimate, try to estimate the size of the industry sometimes. And I think that there's many more people buying sports cards on a regular basis than most of us realize. I think it's, it's actually an enormous number. And like a big project for our community and our hobby in 2022 is connecting our content creators and our products and our apps with that big network of people who are out there, but maybe not, you know, plugged into the Instagram community or plugged into the Facebook community. How do we, just like how there's sports fans who are able to passively consume sports content because they can just go to ESPN or they can just turn on their radio or whatever. How do we make it, make ourselves more easily accessible to literally the millions of collectors out there who just maybe aren't going out of their way to find us, but and aren't early adopters, but would certainly like if given the opportunity on the, on the radio dial, would they would turn to our channels and if given the opportunity on TV, they would consume our show. Like, how do we get hobby content and, and the hobby? How do we get to those people who, like, they're not the gung-ho, you know, early adopter types who are just going and making these Instagram profiles and stuff. But, like, they're out there and they would consume our content over a lot of other content if, it just, if we just got it to their doorstep. Yeah, no, I love that. I think the one, the one thing that I've appreciated about the approach is staying true to sports cards and not jumping over to a bunch of these other alternative uh, investment groups and communities. Definitely. um, That's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother day. Um, But I'm here for the cards. Like I, that's what I want. I want, I want card content and let's leave it at that. Let's not talk about any of the other stuff. Well, how about this? That, that I do, I know exactly what you mean. That lines up nicely with this idea of what's the collector mindset. Yeah, it was like you good said what you t- you took it yeah. right from me. I yes. love it. Yes, because you sent over. You said, "Look, you know, what can we say about the collector mindset?" And I think I just boil it down to this: um, for a collector, the card is the end goal, and for a non-collector, the card is a means to getting money, and then the money is a means to some other end goal. So that's that's the way I break up the two categories. Like a collector is somebody who tries to get money so they can get cards. And then the cards are the end goal and they like to show them off and they like to build a collection and there's pride in their cards and it's an extension of their sports fandom. Like the cards are the end goal. That doesn't mean you don't sell your cards or you know, maybe you move on from the hobby or whatever. It doesn't mean any of that. But what it means is that the end goal of the chain of events is landing the card. And once you get the card the mission is complete. Whereas for a non-collector, the card is just a chain and a link to some other end goal. You know, maybe it's a chain and the link of, you know, I'm going to try and sell this card for profit. So then I can, you know, do a remodel of my home or I'm going to sell this. I'm going to try and profit for this card so I can buy a new car or something or, or, or I just want to get money and then 
reinvested into real estate or something. That's the other group. Okay. That's, and, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that group either. That that's completely fine too. But just when you want to understand how do you think like a collector, how do you be a collector? How do you get to live on that higher level that the collector lives on where there's just, they're enjoying the hobby so much more and they're more fulfilled in as participants in the hobby. That's, that's the litmus test is like, are you collecting the card for the end goal of owning the card or is the card just a, a tool to get to some other end game? And if one is struggling, like maybe somebody isn't a collector who's listening to this right now, but says, I'd like to try being a collector. That's the, that's the step to take is like focus on a card, not as a tool or, you know, a way to get into something else, but look at the card as the end goal in and, in and of itself. Acquiring that card is the final step in the chain. And so for many collectors, that's just natural, but I don't think it has to be natural. I think you can, teach yourself how to think that way and you can learn how to become a collector and you too can enjoy the the more intellectual level the cerebral part of collecting the the intellectual pleasures that come from putting together a collection and you know having that natural passion for the hobby like anybody can get there you, but you just have to teach yourself how to do it and i hope everybody does get an opportunity to collect or partitions their their PC into some stuff's a collection and then some stuff's an investment because being able to collect is, is to enjoy this hobby on a whole different level than somebody who's in this hobby for the flip or for the business or for the investment. That person's great, but, but I feel bad for them because they're missing out on what the collector is enjoying every day, which is just the sheer pleasures of of building a collection and looking forward to those mail days and looking forward to those eBay safe searches and so on and so forth. This is something that definitely I want to be, I'm going to spend time exploring because it fascinates me. Um, and what it fascinates me, why somebody once chooses to live in a modest house and have a modest car and, um, you know, you know, spend some of their discretionary income on, you know, maybe going out to dinner, but maybe that's it. And the, the rest of the, the money goes directly to cards and it's the joy of cards and it's the joy of checking the PC in between meetings and looking at those cards. Um, and when I went through the process just with on card ladder, putting my collection in, I looked at the number, especially my number associated to Peyton Manning cards. And I was like, huh, I didn't, I had no idea it was that high. And, but, but then <laughs> I did like, I didn't even think twice about, oh, it's time to sell it. It was like, no, like that's cool. But like, I'd much rather have the cards. And I know like that's kind of your approach and like you with all of your cards. And maybe we close out this with like a personal question. It's just like collecting for you. Like what's the association? Like, why do you do it? Um, like, why do you get out of bed every morning looking at eBay, talking to people? Like, what is it about collecting cards that um, motivates you? You know, for better or worse, I think for better, I cannot give a good answer, a rational answer to that question, which no, lets me know that I'm in the right place. Cause it's, I'm, I'm not able to just say, well, this makes a perfect amount of sense. It, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's just, it really just goes back to, I graduated undergrad in 2016 and I had a period of a year off 
to prepare for law school and do the LSAT and everything. And I, when I came back to my parents' house, I found my old cards and I just got completely lost in the joy of going through that collection and looking up all the prices on eBay and figuring out how this whole market worked. And it, it was just silly fun, just absolutely goofy fun. <laughs> just that's it. And in adulthood, we should really latch on to silly, goofy, fun things that are irrational and just, and especially if they're nostalgic, although they don't have to be, but nostalgia, you know, can closing the loop of things we enjoyed as a kid and then things we enjoy as an adult, bridging them together. That's, that's, uh, that's, that's the magic of the human experience that really we lose as we get older and older and more rational and more calculating and more logical. We lose the magic of the human experience that that we can have when we just let go of our inhibitions, suspend even, to borrow a phrase from the entertainment industry, suspend our disbelief and just like get lost in a hobby or a pastime or something. Dude, that's invaluable. You can't put a dollar amount on how much fun that is and how important that is to enjoying your brief time on earth. If you're lucky enough to have found a hobby or a pastime or a recreational activity, maybe it's cards, maybe it's something else. If you're lucky enough to have found something that like just naturally genuinely fills you with joy and you don't even have to think about why you don't have to question it. Although naturally we're analytical people in the hobby, we're going to deconstruct everything. If you don't have the question, you don't have to build yourself up to, you don't have to psych yourself up. You just actually organically enjoy it. Dude, you should pay whatever premium to hold on to that part and to nourish and, and nurture and grow and develop that part of your life because it's fleeting. It's difficult to hold on to and to grasp. You never know if you if it's ever going to pop up in another avenue of your life. So if you're lucky enough to have this hobby and love it and enjoy it, like to me, it's just such a no brainer to fully immerse myself and, and fully dive into it and, and just completely, you know, enjoy it while it lasts. It's a great closing note. <laughs> and I appreciate that thought and couldn't agree more. Um, obviously, Chris, we want to send people who maybe haven't to check out Card Ladder. Anything else you want to you wanna plug before I let you get out of here? Uh, yeah, one last thing. Football cards have had, and nobody's really talking about it except for you. Football <laughs> cards have had the greatest bull run in sports cards over last year. Before the show, I was preparing some like football notes as well. And what we won't get to them, that's fine. But like Josh Allen, his Prism National Treasures RPA PSA 10 was a $7,100 card in November of, la- of 2020. Okay, and he was playing at an MVP level. I believe he received the second most MVP votes for the 2020 season. Josh Allen was universally recognized as an incredible athlete at the time that his NTRPA PSA 10 sold for $7,100 in the season before last. Fast forward one year, and in uh, November of 2021, that same card sold for $71,000 from $7,100 to $71,000. For Josh Allen's National Treasures RPA PSA 10 over the course of one year. And he's hardly the only football player to see 10x returns over the period of a year. And he's not even the only, uh, and it's not only quarterbacks either. Like Matt Stafford has 10x, 
Aaron Rodgers is flirting with getting into that territory. Tom Brady has somewhat leveled off, but he was there as well. Cooper Cup, Cooper Cup's 2017 Prism PSA 10 stuff, uh, like the silver, which is also the base from 2017. Those are in the $500 range. Yeah, I mean, Cooper Cup is, his market is absolutely gone bananas. And it's great to see a skills position guy, you know, get that respect too. Just all the, the, the thing I want to say about football is that it's the most exciting market in sports cards. It's tied to the most exciting sport that America has to offer. Football cards are in an amazing place right now. And there's like incredible market things happening in that space. And it feels like nobody knows about it outside of Stacking Slabs listeners. So that was the last thing I wanted to chime in on this show is just like the football card market over the last 365 days is on fire. It's incredible what's been happening there. It it is. And I appreciate you commenting on it. I think to me, it's always been like, just go look at the TV ratings uh, between like a a random Thursday night NFL game and like an NBA playoff game and just a comparison. And it's like a story though. like yesterday we were driving home from my brother-in-law's house and we're entering downtown Indianapolis. And I noticed this last weekend, even after the Colts had lost, I said, to my wife, I said, Hey, we're going to like cruise by these homes. And like, I've just driven it so many times. I know like times and like TV, you could, your stoplights, you can see TVs on and stuff. And I said, what watch when we're stopped, how many people are watching the NFL playoffs? And we have a residential homes, you have apartments and you're just cruising down East street, down, down, downtown Indianapolis. We're trying to go home. And it was, this, it was like, it was like kind of that scene in Home Alone when like the they've got the lights and the robbers and they're like, and look at the lights now. And they point and the light, the one like house lights up. It was like every time like I pointed it, like, all right, look at this house. It was just like flat screen TV, NFL playoffs going on. And it's just like throughout. It's like, this is just one street in downtown Indianapolis, which is an NFL city. But like, think about that. Now then think about how many people collect. And it's like, my questioning always when I got back in the hobby is like, why aren't more people talking about football cards? Like it's America's game. So I think some of those uh, examples you shared highlight like people coming around to it. And quite frankly, to me as a guy who primarily collects football cards, like I believe we're just getting started. So I think this playoffs, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out, but um, it's been fun as a, collector of football cards and someone who just likes to look at the data every day to look at the tremendous growth that that segment has seen in the past year. Unbelievable, man. And I, I think you're right too, because even still a Josh Allen national treasures, RPA PSA 10 at 71 grand is probably more now, but even though that was a few months ago, but even still, you know, that's, he's not nearly as valuable as a, what the lamello ball equivalent would go for i would guess i would guess the lamello would go into the six figure range and why you know oh god i don't want, I, I i don't want to sound like a ridiculous uh hype beast but like why couldn't that card continue to increase quite a bit going into the future you know like there's there's a lot of potential in football that i love and, you know, I'm, I collect a guy, I collect one of the few guys who has not been the beneficiary of this market explosion you and I that's been happening in football. Yeah, you know, and it's like, okay, 
I and I'm still such a thrill collecting the NFL. And you know something else about collecting NFL, collecting a player has made following the season, even if my player is not even like involved in the main storylines, it's it's made following the season so much more interesting and captivating. Uh, it's just sports cards are an extension of sports fandom, and the two play into each other really well. And so, if for anybody out there who listens dipped a toe into collecting NFL, uh, it's worth giving it a shot because it's made my enjoyment of the NFL, especially this season, it's taken it to a whole nother level. So yeah, I'm with you, man. I football is such a, such a universally beloved sport. It's a common language that we have walk into almost any setting in America. And, and you could probably find somebody that you could strike up a conversation about the NFL with. So yeah, it's just, that's a great example you gave there, man, about it's just so universal. It's just, you can't avoid it. You can't, you'd have to go hide under a rock somewhere to avoid the NFL. That's absolutely the the case. Uh, we covered a lot of ground like we always do when you're on the show. Chris, thank you so much for your time. We will certainly have you back on. Sounds good, bud. After we got off the air, Chris and I were talking about the football card market and just how insane it's been and also digging into some current opportunities that exist. And there are a lot of them out there if you are playing in the football card market. I'm excited, more bullish than ever on football cards. Hopefully you are too. Put a little basketball data in there. Did you like that? Hopefully you did. Make sure you take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Enjoy the football playoffs. And I'll talk to you real soon.